Let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and you know the way that I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Hmm. That's going to be very, very important this morning, I truly believe. I am Michael. Lou's over there. Hey there. And we are here to tell you that if you don't, that you don't get to determine whether or not you're in. (laughs) And we're serious about that, by the way. We are absolutely, positively serious about that. Trying to figure out why my tablet is giving me the weird brightness. And I don't know why. Because I can't see it. Mm. I'm blind. Instead of blinded by the light, I'm blinded by the dim. There we go. Okay, look at that. I can read that. Now, what do we mean that you don't get to determine whether or not you're in? Well, there are standards here. I'm going to borrow from what I do on Tuesdays. But first, hold on. Ah, there's coffee afoot. <laughs> Lou loves it when I do that. Makes it sound real good. He's got his coffee too, but he can't get as close to his microphone as I can to mine. So he can't annoy you with his. <laughs> Although right. I would try. He would though. Yeah. But since we don't allow him, that's you're better off. That's why you all like him better. That's, that's okay. right. Yeah. I, I'm, much, I, you guys are much better off. Yeah. I, I've come to grips with it. All right. Foundations for how we think through things, Christian. All right. Starting point. God is creator. Therefore, we are dependent upon him. He is the one who preserves his people. He is savior. And judge, depending on what side of the fence you're on. And he is the determiner of those things. He is the one who sanctifies. He is the one who is long-suffering. And he is the one who accomplishes all good things. Not you, him. Therefore, any thought process that we have and any understanding that we have about where we are, why we are, and what we're doing since we're standing there, must begin with who he is, what he has declared, and what we do in light of those things. Right. Make sense? Right, right. That's our underlying foundation. So with that underlying foundation, let's look at this chapter in John 14 that I read. Do not let your heart be troubled. All right, time out. Why would their hearts be troubled? Well, because Jesus just, just told them a chapter before that he's leaving. Like, peace, yo, I'm out. Well, right. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but he, he warned them that he is on the way out. Well, I mean, every Jew was looking for the Messiah, the King Messiah, and, and they were in... And they didn't understand that correctly. Yeah, right, right. They, they didn't understand his, his coming and what he was coming first to do. Um, so, of course, they were perplexed when he, he said he was, he was going to be leaving. Yeah, that's not how that's supposed to work. So right. they're a little freaked out. So Jesus is like, Go, time out. Hold on. Don't freak out. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because, again, what is Jesus' point been throughout all of this? See, John 13 
Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That doesn't mean like to the end of his life. That means to the end, to eternity. Completely and perfectly, Christ loved and cared for them. That matters because if you follow through with your synoptics, the entirety of Jesus' ministry has been preparing them for this. That I'm leaving, you're going to have work to do, pay attention, have eyes to see, ears to hear, or you can reverse that if you'd prefer, you know, have ears to see and eyes to hear, however you want to make that work. Just got me there. Like, huh, what? (laughs) I was processing that and full halt. That's what happens. So you have to halt here, believe in God, because God is still doing something. In other words, what Christ is getting, getting across here is, I'm leaving. That does not end the work of God, because the work of God is not yet totally complete. So in other words, they have to take what is wrong about their knowledge of the Messiah and correct it with what should be right about their knowledge of God. That if he has not finished his work, then he will not abandon his people. Right. And they, by trusting in him, are officially his people. Right. So, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice the comfort. The comfort is what? That your security is in God. His tabernacle is with you. You will be secured. Him. This has been the longing of humanity going all the way back to the garden. Right. This, I mean, Genesis 3, why, why are Adam and Eve hiding? Because God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Right. Remember, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Christ, a Christophany, Christ is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they're like, <gasps> Their sin separated them. Yes, and notice they separate themselves because they know they cannot stand there. Mm-hmm. They inherently know that God in his holiness, this is not how this is supposed to work, that something is now broken. They have lost that fellowship, closeness, and comfort in God, and has now been replaced with separation and fear of judgment. Yes. Remember our foundation. God is creator. We are dependent upon him, and he is savior and judge. In your sin, you recognize that judgment is upon you. This is also why God drives man out of the garden. It's a blessing. They don't want to, God does not want man to take from the tree of life and eat and live forever because he does not want him to live in this broken state. Something must be done. This is Paul's argument about why you should live holy to the Corinthian church. Right. You're in Christ, you are now what? The deposit, or not the deposit, the down, well, yeah, the deposit, the down payment of your belief, the down payment of your salvation is given. It is given in the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the tabernacle of God amongst you. While it is not fully complete, as you'll see in Revelation, where the tabernacle of God is amongst men and all of that. That down payment is a reminder that you are now dwelling and walking with God. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you have a responsibility and a need to walk in a certain way. Those things matter because of who you now are. So, this is Jesus' comfort. That I'm leaving, but the work of Yahweh is not abandoned. And Yahweh's work in you will not be abandoned, and you as Yahweh's children will not be abandoned. For I am going to prepare a place for you. In other words, Jesus has done work here. He still has work here to do, but he then has work to go and do that he is, Christian, catch this, still 
doing. He is still operating. This is where the book of Hebrews is so vitally important to you. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, talking about Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's the work he's getting ready to do. <clears throat> Hebrews 7. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's the continuing work that he is still doing. That is the work that he had to go to do. He will continue that work until it is no longer time to do that work, then the end. Now, these two passages are very interesting. One of the things that really stands out to me in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 is, for by one offering he has perfected for all times yes. those who are sanctified. In other words, those who have been set apart. Yes. And then in the next verse, it talks about, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near. Those same ones that have been sanctified have been called to draw near to him, have been given work, righteous works to walk in, have been cleansed once and for all by the mighty work of Christ. They are tabernacling with God. They will tabernacle with God. Therefore, they are secure in God. Even though Christ will not be standing next to them, God will not abandon them. Right. This is where your Trinitarian theology comes in, because you're going, I thought Jesus was God. Well, he is. That's why I was using the Yahweh. There, because Yahweh is one God, but there are three persons of Yahweh. Right. No, I can't explain that to you. No, you can't understand it. So just come to grips with that, and it'll be okay. Right. There's a complexness to God that we don't fully Hallelujah. understand on this side of the resurrection. Thank God. Yeah. Because if I could understand God completely, that would say something about my intelligence level. Right. It, that's a, not something that would be comforting for your salvation, by the way. Well, right, <laughs> right. But Christ, he, you know, he had to go because if he didn't go, he couldn't then send the helper, the paraclete exactly. in, in, in the Greek. Um the Holy Spirit. And the joke I tell my children all the time, look, I can't, I can't come back if I don't ever leave. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's part of this because that's the very next verse. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. This is the big one. In other words, what's part of your security that the work of God will continue? One, it's the work of God. Two, it is Christ saying that my work isn't complete just because I've left. Right. That there is a continuing work that I am doing but there is a completing work that I will do when I return. This is repeated at his, at his ascension by the angel. Right. It's like, why are you, why, you Galileans, what are you doing just standing here looking up at the sky? Amen. Jesus, the same way he left, he's going to come back. What are you freaked out about? Mm -hmm. This is the argument Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15, that, <clears throat> that there's a resurrection, that he is a first fruits, that this is the proof of his work and the proof that his work is good. And this is also the promise of Matthew 28. Why can you have a great commission? Why can you go to the ends of the earth? Because Jesus, is, Jesus has authority over the ends of the earth. And why, can, why does that commission transcend the generations and the eons? Because Christ's authority transcends generations and eons. He has the authority unto the end of the age. God will be with you. Christ will not forsake you unto the end of the age. He will always be there. He will always be working. And when that end of the age comes, it will come because Christ has returned. Not forgetting, not forsaking. Right. 
And when he does this, where I am, there you may be also. This is, again, confirmation and continuation of the promised work and the hoped-for work of all of humanity. This is what they've wanted. This is what the tabernacle was about in the wilderness, in Exodus. We've got to build a tabernacle. Why? Because God's going to dwell amongst his people. So we've got to have 27 layers between God and you. Otherwise, his holiness would break out against your sinfulness, and that will not end well for you. Hence the curtain. Hence the veil. Hence the smoke. Hence the offerings. Hence the tent. All of it. It's a separation. But now, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit, the veil is torn. The separation is removed. God and man dwelling and working and ministering together. Your sin taken out of the way by the perfect offering of Christ your intercession accomplished by the eternal existence of Christ, your good works empowered by the eternal power, presence, I need one more, power, presence, and perseverance Perseverance. of the Holy Spirit. There you go. When in doubt, drop a perseverance. There you go. Alliteration. There you go. (laughs) Baptist alliteration for the win. And this is the longed for eternity. This is what Revelation 21 is about. The new heavens and the new earth coming down. God sitting upon his throne amongst his people. The dwelling of God is among men. What was lost in the garden because of the work of Christ restored. You see Jesus pointing to this and promising this because his disciples are a little freaked out that the one who has the words of life is leaving. And you know the way that I am going. Why? Because Jesus has laid it out. This is what Paul talks about. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I love Thomas, because Thomas is all of us. Hmm. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? See, I love that about Thomas, because Thomas is like— just being honest. But but the reason I love it is because Thomas is the only one with the guts to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, my daughter will do that. I'll explain something perfectly clear, and everybody's nodding, and and Jada will look at me and go, can you just say all of that again? Because I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) She, She would. I can see it. She does. Like, I explained it perfectly, like, with pictures and drawings and diagrams, and she's like, I have no idea about anything you just said. Child. <laughs> You'll never feel dumber than trying to explain something to a child who is just like, nope, I got nothing. Hmm. Tom, that is Thomas. Thomas is an eight-year-old girl, apparently. That's what I think I just said. There's <laughs> <laughs> a picture. <laughs> now, the reason I love this, though, because he's honest. Because Jesus has explained 27 ways from Sunday that he is going to the Father, that he is working for eternity. Thomas is like, I cannot comprehend this. Christian, this is good news. Because we don't truly—I can espouse all of this. I can run all of this down. I can say it 13 different ways. You know, you know what you really process? Jesus left, and Jesus is coming back, I hope. That's, that's where most of us live our lives each day. And the reason I know that is because of the way most of us live our lives each day. We don't live expectantly because at the end of the day— We live moment to moment. We don't plan like we should. We don't process eternity like we should. So Thomas is, Thomas is our boy. He's like, I don't understand this, which again is also a comfort for you, Christian, because you're persevering anyway. Even though you don't understand, even though you do not fully comprehend, you are persevering anyway. You believe, yet you have not seen. Exactly. There's a great blessing for that, right? Exactly. And that's why I love Jesus' answer. This is our hallmark. You ready? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Mm. See, this is key. How do, look, 
Jesus is going to the Father. I don't understand what that means. So I don't know where that is. So I don't know how to get there. And Jesus' answer is, yes, you do. Did you see how I lived? Do that. Did you see what I taught? Do that. Did you hear what I taught? Teach that. Did you understand what I taught? Explain that. Yeah, that that comes right from the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, this is the whole thing. This is why you've been following me around in the world. This is the Reader's Digest Michael expansion. You ready? You You have been following me around for three years, listening, understanding. You haven't processed it yet, but the Holy Spirit is going to do that work for you, so chill out. He's going to explain that later in this chapter. Like John 14, uh, 26, 27, somewhere there. Read John. It'll do you good. So... (laughs) He's gonna, the Holy Spirit will come, and when the Holy Spirit comes, all that stuff that you remember and all that stuff that you now know that you have now internalized that I taught you, just keep following that. If you do that, you'll be walking in the ways that I have laid down for you. Again, this is what Paul is talking about. Be imitators of me as, as I imitate Christ. So in other words, Paul's answer would be, when you see me doing the things that Christ has explained for me to do, do those things. When you see me teaching in accordance with the teachings of Christ, follow those things. But if I or an angel from heaven, maybe, should preach to you, say, something else? No! Yeah, let them be cursed. Yeah, let them be cursed. Mm -hmm. That's Galatians 1. Paul literally says that if I come to you and teach something contrary to Christ, don't listen to me. Do the other thing. Follow rightly after Christ, because that is what you should be doing. And they should know, because it's written down somewhere. And they, and they should know that because they wrote it down somewhere, right. Right. especially because that's well, literally what the apostolic right. ministry is. The apostolic ministry, okay, Christian, you ready? Understand this. The most important aspect of the apostolic ministry was not in founding the church at Ephesus. It was not in founding the church at Jerusalem. It was not in preaching to the church at Rome. It was in writing to the church of Ephesus. It was in writing to the church at Rome. It was in writing to the community around Jerusalem. The most important aspect of the apostolic work was the compiling and writing down of their testimony to Christ. Because otherwise, when they die, we're sunk. Right, because the message stops. Although there was a a great deal of the message being transmitted by word of mouth. You can only do that for so long. Right, we would have never known the the righteous deeds of Christ had it not been written down. Instead, you have Matthew, eyewitness. Mm Mm-hmm. You have Mark chronicling the, the witness and testimony of Peter. You have Luke interviewing all of these people he has access to as a traveling companion of a, a traveling companion of Paul. You say that three times fast. You have John, Mark eyewitness. John. You have the ministry of Paul. Mm-hmm. You have James, half-brother of Jesus and um, basically elder of the church in Jerusalem. You have Jude, itinerant minister, half-brother of Jesus, one of the respected pillars of the Jerusalem church. You have all of this giving John, again, disciple. You have this testimony recorded for you so that down through the ages, you can look there and go, I know how to follow Jesus because I know what Jesus calls me to do because they wrote it down in a book. Therefore, I don't have to wonder about how do I get to the Father. He has told me. I can understand it. I can think through it. I can process this information. I can teach it to my children. I can do all of these amazing, miraculous things because Jesus has laid this out for me in his apostles who he commissioned and because of the work of the Holy Spirit faithfully holding them and accomplishing this. Remember, God accomplishes all of these things. Because of that, I can stand secure without doubt. Hallelujah, somebody. (laughs) Yeah, that's important. 
Now. And, and, and the trustworthiness of, of what we've received mm -hmm. is paramount. Uh, there is no ancient writing of any type mm -hmm. that even comes close to the transmission of, of, of what we're calling the New Testament. So, I mean, it's just impossible. I mean, all the other works, some of them come seven, eight hundred years after the we person know, was dead. We know without a doubt what Mark, Luke, Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude, Matthew, we know what they wrote. We know what they wrote. Mm -hmm. We've got it. I mean, anybody who tries to argue differently is just not being an honest historian right. or critiquer of yep. these things. We true. know. Very we true. know what they wrote. We know where they wrote. We know these things. That's not an issue. Now, all of this, we had to tell you this long story and to cover some of these aspects of this. One of the most important aspects that is found here in this section is the verse that everybody knows. It's the, it's the hallmark verse for the exclusivity of Christ. And the apostles understood this because you saw Peter. I mean, Peter and his sermons, go, go, if you want to have some fun, if you want to read nothing else, go read Acts 2, 3, and 4, right. the, the initial sermons of public sermons of Peter. Acts 2 is an exposition on the deity, identity, and exclusivity of Christ. Repent, trust in him. Acts 3 explains the same thing. Acts 4 demonstrates the miraculous power of Christ, and as he proclaims to both the crowds and the religious leaders, there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. None. Right, right, absolutely. That's a building here of John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but by me. Right. The reason we hold to that is not because we're big, we're big meanies. We hold to that because, again, go back to what I started with. Who's the creator? God is. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are dependent upon him. Which means, from the very beginning, can you understand God in your own power? Uh, no, no. Not, not fully. Can you understand who he is, what he's doing, what separates you, why that separation is real and it exists? How do you overcome the separation? Well, you can if you read the scriptures. That's what, yeah. In your own power. Not in your own power. No, though. you no. cannot at all. He's left a witness for now, us. But humanity tries. It. Yeah. And that's why every human culture, hang on, I better stop because otherwise somebody will send me that email. Almost universally, every human culture, because there's always like, well, there's that one tribe in Africa, there's like 18 of them, and they don't worship anything. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you know it, you know that. Yeah, you're, gonna you're gonna, something, yeah exactly. Something like so that. basically, almost universal that humanity worships. Now, this is, this is the point that I'm making. Any of these pagan cultures get the worship of Yahweh correct. Like, are they sacrificing lambs and waiting for the return of Christ? And the answer is no. They're worshiping the sun, the moon, because they can't understand. Now, you, you rightly hit on it. We can read Scripture, right. which comes from whom? It comes from God. It's we inspired. don't understand God. God reveals himself to us. In various ways, right? Well, in various ways, but the ways that we understand in the ways that we will then make sense of him are by the written word. Right. Again, this is... The reason I was such a big deal about the apostolic ministries, because I'm going to say this again, the most important aspect about the Old Testament's prophetic ministry is not what Ahaz said, or I'm sorry, not what Isaiah said to Ahaz. It is what Isaiah wrote about what he said to Ahaz. Because otherwise we'd be sitting here at this point, uh, 2,700 years later, playing the world's worst game of telephone. Oh, yeah, well, I think Isaiah said this. Oh, yeah, well, I heard from my great-grandpappy that Isaiah said that. And we'd be going, okay, give up. But because it is written down, we have an objective standard. Right. That's the key thing. The most important aspect of the prophetic ministry was not what they said, but what they wrote. The most important aspect of Moses' ministry 
was not him coming down the mountain and reading the book of the law to the Israelites. It was the fact that he wrote a book of the law. It was the fact that the tablets were laid up in the tabernacle. It's the fact that the ark was built, that it was chronicled down. All of these things. Ezra and Nehemiah's great work was not returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and reinstitute the priesthood. It was that they wrote this down so that we could understand the faithfulness of God down through the ages. We have an objective testimony, and it is given to us because of the blessings and preserving work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, I mean, the, the work that God accomplished through, through his word is, is, is unique. Yes. Um, in that when you rightly divine the word of God, you will know what is expected of you. You will yes. know what sin is. Yes. In, in, in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, although they had what they call what you would consider be scriptures, they had no idea what their gods wanted. Exactly. They Which had is no why idea what, how they've sinned against them. They just knew that they sinned against them. So they had these mechanical ways through divination, bones and blood and sacrifices and, what have and, you. and, yeah. and all of these things and covenants and all of these things. They had all of these things, but they still had no clue what the God of creation wanted from them. So the Word of God is unique. Um, its calling is unique. It's exclusive. It's not inclusive. The called out people are the ones who are sanctified and set apart. And this matters because, you ready? I'm doing this in a Sunday school class, mm -hmm. like as we speak. It's taken way longer than I thought it was going to, but it's been productive. Start at the beginning of your Bible and read from beginning to end. You know what you're going to find? How many saviors, saviors are you going to find? One. One. How many means of interaction with God are you going to find? Hmm. One. That's important because, again, the argument we're making is that this, that this scripture handed down is preserved and uh, I know, okay, powered, there you go, by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is what Second Peter's getting on about. Second yeah. Peter 1, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Right. That's the prophetic word made certain. He's talking about scripture. Right. The recording and, of the prophetic utterance. And he also says it's not his opinion. Exactly. Right. It has nothing it to comes, do with man-made opinion. From God. Right, right. That's important because people say, well, it's just it was written down by men. Now that matters because if you follow the the reasoning and teaching of scripture, you will wind up at a longing and a need for a Messiah. Right. That's what Genesis 3 is pointing on about. That's what the promise of the prophet in Deuteronomy 18, the promise of the son to David in 2 Samuel 7, the promise of the birth of, really the birth of God in Isaiah 9, the one who will inaugurate the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, the one who can make the dry bones live in, what is it, Ezekiel 37? 38. 38. Hike, read, yeah. uh, read Ezekiel, it'll do you yeah. good. The, the, um, the son of man who, right. who rules from the ancient of days of Daniel uh, 10. I'm going to go with Daniel 10 there. Read Daniel, do you good. All of these things, all of this is pointing you to the work of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ. Now, why does this matter? I almost did the devotion this morning, not on John 14, but on 2 John. Mm -hmm. So if you, wanna, if you want more homework, like, okay, so what's, home, what's the homework that we've given out thus far? Read John. Mm -hmm. um, what was the other homework? I've already forgotten. You said read Daniel, it'll do you good. Yeah, um, but before Daniel, there was something else. There were like three chapters. What were they? Oh, I've forgotten already. Well, you know, wait Sorry. a minute. Why are we remembering? You can rewind and listen to this again. It's good for our numbers, so that'll, that'll do you good. <laughs> Famous <laughs> plug. Exactly. Ooh, ooh, it's Acts 2, 3, and 4. Look at my brain working. Look at that. Take yeah. a sip of coffee, coffee. and kicked right in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so um, so after you've read John, 
And after you've read Acts 2, 3, and 4, go read 2 John. Or if you want to, read 2 John first. It's like 13 verses. It'll take you a minute and a half, and I'm not even kidding. Mm -hmm. But pay close attention to the middle section because he is very keen on this. If you do not understand, start around verse 7. 7 through 11 is your key. If you do not understand Christ rightly, you do not have the Father. So in other words, get Jesus wrong, you get the Father wrong. Mm. If you get the Father wrong, you do not have salvation. This is important because Second John is warning you against false teachers. False teachers are teaching you a false Christ. Follow a false Christ, you are following a false God. You are engaged in idolatry, your sin remains, use in trouble on the day of visitation. Yeah. That's a problem. This matters because if you do not understand that following the path that Christ has laid out is the means by which you attain tabernacling, dwelling with Yahweh, that following the totality of the testimony that points to Christ is how you obtain salvation, how you understand who you are, why you are separated from God, and how to fix those things, then you have followed a false religion. You are not Christian. You cannot be saved. Was, weren't we talking about this last week? Those that will say to me, Lord, Lord, I did this and that, and I will say, and I will say from you, depart from me, I never knew you. Wasn't that last week? Yep. My weeks do run together, so I start. Yeah. This is when you teach like five times in a week. You start. Did I say this to you last week, or was that like to somebody else a month ago? Yeah, it's, I, I, I said no it idea. to somebody. I, I said it somewhere. I have no idea where. It's the same idea. Now, why does that matter? I labeled this article tomato, tomato. <laughs> oh, boy. Because yeah. this is, now, in Lou's defense, Lou is not as cynical as I am. Not openly. <laughs> because, Lou's, because Lou's first reaction to this was, can you believe this? And my answer was, yeah. <laughs> Where have you been? I <laughs> know. What do you mean, can I believe this? I'm shocked it's not even, I'm shocked it's this good. All right, you're, you ready? Christian, inhale. All right. You're going you're gonna to need that because you're going to want to throw something in a second. A new study has found that over 60% of born-again Christians, okay, mm. process this. All right. 60%, I'm going to throw a word in here that they don't throw because I think it's appropriate. 60% of supposed born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39, I'm just outside that bracket, so I, I could have skewed the numbers a little bit, but I can't now, believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. And that Buddha and Muhammad are also valid paths to salvation. I want my RC Sproul button. What is wrong with you people? I'm getting, by next week, I'm going to have that button. I don't care if I have to load it in the computer. I'm going to get my RC Sproul button. That is just all there is to it. This is, this is insane. This is college age to young adult, quote-unquote, what you would call young adults in church. People don't understand. Your 20s and 30s. They don't understand that Buddha never claimed to be God. He was not, and he did not care about God. It was all about the here and now for him. And Well, the concept of Buddhism is, yeah, a, it's, it's, while it's a denial of self, it's, it's mm -hmm. pantheism or panentheism. I can never remember which, remember which one's Buddhist and which one's Hindu. But pantheism is God is everything, and mm -hmm. panentheism is God is in everything. So one of them, I think Buddhism is the panentheism because you want to be one with the universe or something like that. Right. And Hinduism is pantheism because by 
eliminating yourself, you become one with God. I, it, I've never been they, able to they make all, that distinction. Well, both of those religions have a concept of the Brahman and the, you know, all, all of that. Uh, Hindu, it comes from Hinduism. It's, it's a perversion of Hinduism. It, it, yeah, it, there's, there's, anyway. But so 60% of Christians sitting in evangelical pews yeah. in their 20s and 30s are like, well, yeah, dude. Muslims are totally just following their own path to Jesus, man. And Buddha's a righteous fat guy, all right? I, I like him. He's like Middle Eastern Santa, okay? Mm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's not the most insulting thing I've ever said, is it? Yeah. <clears throat> the outlet citing the, poll, the, citing the poll results of Probe Ministries Religious Views and Practices Survey. These, how do these people fit these things on, on business cards? I, I mean, come know. on. That's a lot. Also said that for those in that age group, over 30% say they either believe that Jesus sinned just like other people, or they're not sure. Oh, I, 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 Have these people read Hebrews? I don't know. Tempted I, in it, all ways as we are, and yet without sin. Right. I, I mean, mean they, they, can't, they can't have been watch, reading the same scriptures that we've read. You know, it just seems awful strange uh, that, um, that somebody would actually believe that. In other words, he's not really God. He's just like one of us. I, wasn't that, oh, I was in high school. What was that chick's name? Is this? Uh, I hated that song. I was a pagan and I hated that song. What if God was what one of us? What if God was one of us? And she was like, had all the circus freaks in the in the video. Right. And she had the nose ring. The nose ring creeped me out. I just wanted to. Right. And the frizzy blonde hair. Why do I know these things? I don't know. You're, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See what it's like to have to live in my brain? Please pray for me. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> the percentage of born-again Christians with a biblical worldview of any type has been cut in half over the last decade. <sighs> Comparing uh, Christians in the 18 to 29 group from 2010 with the same age group 10 years later, now 30 to 39, this result is a startling degradation in worldview beliefs of born-again Christians over just 10 years. Let me, let me summarize that. 10 years ago when they did this study, the 18 to 29-year-olds had 47% of them had a biblical worldview. Now, 10 years later, the 30 to 39-year-olds, so the same group of people, just 10 years older, only 25% of them have a biblical worldview, yeah. which means, to quote the great prophets, planes, trains, and automobiles, you're going the wrong way. Now, why does this matter? Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about that study about people getting married and staying married because it was good for kids, mm -hmm. and I warned you that don't count that necessarily as a wonderful thing right. because the why is so important? Who's having the kids? 20 and 30-year-olds. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that, that's the demograph. That's, yeah. So over the course of a decade, the generation that is raising the children have decreased in their biblical fidelity. Yeah. What's going to happen in 20 years when their kids are adults? What's going to happen in 30 years when their kids are having kids and training them up in the ways that they should go? These things matter. If you are, you ready? If you are not in a church that is teaching theologically, proclaiming the word of God so that you can understand it and apply it, run. Yeah. Follow, right. the, follow the theology of Queensryche. You got the song stuck in your head already, don't you? Run to the hills. Yep, run to Run the... for your life. Oh That's my. as much high note as I got. Oh <laughs> Uh-oh, we have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't do that very often. 
If, if, if your church isn't doing these things, get out. And I mean line upon line. I'm not talking about yeah. these topical things that go on in congregations. Because this is what it produces. Right. It produces everything that is wrong with Christianity. I mean, Basic tenets of the faith, right. and the majority, and the majority of our younger Christians are going, and that's why I, I, you, you can't. The air quote Christians are going. I'm not sure I really believe that. Well, the topics are there. Just preach through a book every time, and you'll find the topics that you want to you want to talk about. But that's not fun and exciting. And then uh, what about that church down the street that's going to have all those fancy new youth ministries? Oh wow! Well, exactly. Hey. What is it? What's been the fruit? Yeah, well, we're we're reading about it right here. And again, it, this is now this is why, even though a lot of you are maybe rolling your eyes because it's like, dude, I get John fourteen. I understand that Jesus is the only way. I okay, that's a hill we have to be prepared to fight for in the coming years. Because here's what's going to happen: a lot of churches are going to have look ten to twenty years from now, those thirty year olds are going to be forty and fifty year olds in ten and twenty years. They're going to be in the leadership. Of your evangelical churches mm-hmm. without having a biblical worldview. Well, something that has been really bothering me, and I'm sure you, you know all about it because you homeschool your kids, <laughs> um, is the indoctrination that goes on in public schools. If, if you are not spending as much time discipling your children as you're discipling yourself, your children are lost because they are going to confuse them. There's a lot of smart people out there. They have lots of questions. And their little minds just can't think critically enough and understand it if you don't inoculate them with the Word of God. I actually just had this conversation with a Christian woman who's a public school teacher. Okay. And her, her, that was part of her complaint was that parents aren't doing enough work. And not because the school system is actively right. – not because the school system is actively trying to subvert it, but because – or the majority – even the majority of school teachers. She's, she's, she's a public high school teacher. She teaches, in a, she teaches in a hard science, though, and even she admitted, if you're going to run across the crazy woke brigade, it's going to be like in history and humanities and some English classes. I, I, but, yeah. but she was not because the curriculum in and of itself is actively trying to subvert it, but because there's nothing else supporting it. And you have to do the discipleship work of your children. You have to prepare them for going out into the world because it's not just the what. This, what are we always talking about? Not just what they believe, but why they believe it and how it makes a difference. Well, they're starting in kindergarten. You oh, know, yeah. my, my daughter was signing up for son. And one of the questions on there is, what does he identify as? <laughs> it's like, okay. And, a power and, ranger. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But, no, you know, they, they want to start as early as kindergarten or preschool, just ramming this, this right down their throats yeah. and, and making it so if they identify as as a power ranger, that, that they're protected. My pronouns are go-go and power ranger. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you're not teaching your children, someone else will. And you might not like the results of that when they get of age to think for themselves and, and completely walk away from everything you've taught them. Here's the thing. If you're not actively getting into theology, this is what you end up with. Right. Because you end up with Christians, again, I'm using the air quotes here, who don't actually understand basic tenets of their faith. Now, they probably had a wonderful five-week series on how to have a better marriage and a six-week series on how to train your children or be a better neighbor or something like that. But at the same token, they don't have anything on Christian doctrine and distinctives, which means they don't actually understand their faith. And as they began to grow and apply and think through, 
they have done so in a syncretistic way. We did a whole episode on that. Go find the episode on syncretism. It'll do you good. And that is a de- that is a death knell for a Christian. Right. Once you enter into the syncretistic worldview, you start mixing and matching and adding things that are that are unchristian. You're going to end up right. with a hodgepodge of lunacy, which is here because the Islamic worldview is anti-Christian. Oh yeah, at its core. Absolutely. Even even the moderate, I would say, apostate, peaceful Muslims. We can have that argument another day. Theology is absolutely, but it is still anti-Christian. Anti, it is. So you can't look at me and say, "Well, Jesus is one way and Muhammad's another." Dude, they're antithetical to one another. Mm -hmm. Right. The same goes with Buddha. The same goes with Hindus. The same goes with the Hare Krishna. The same goes for for Joseph Smith. These people are not on the same side. And if you'd read your Bible and understand it, you would know that. But this is the problem. Christians aren't reading and understanding their Bible because churches aren't understanding and preaching and teaching the Bible because that would be difficult. Christian, always remember this. We've said this before. We will say it again. Christianity, by its very definition, is a thinking religion. You have to go to church and you have to live your life prepared to do hard work. Not because your life is impossible or what God calls you to is outside of your realm, but you have to be prepared to actually stand firm and apply theology rightly. And you're capable of doing that. You know how I know that? Because if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And he will work, and he will spur, and he will guide, and he will protect you. I I just got to say this. Uh, Worshiping God and learning about him doesn't just happen on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It happens every day. If you are not in that word every day, if you are not on your knees praying and taking time to separate yourself from the mundane things of this world to to to, to get in the presence of God, if you are not doing that, you're not going to be prepared for the battle that's already begun in your life. You are blind to it. You are going to be taken unaware. You're going to be defeated, and you're going to wonder what hit you. It's going to be that proverbial Mack truck, and it's going to back up and it's going to hit you again. <laughs> but get into your word of God. You mean the, the world doesn't love me? No, it hates you. It wants you dead. Oh, it's almost like there's a Bible verse about that. Right. Read John 15, it'll do you good. <laughs> I, know, I, just, I know I just got on my soapbox. But when, you know, when we come to, to worship God one day a week, and we think that we've walked away with enough Holy Spirit that's going to last us another six days until we come together again, we're going about it all the wrong yeah. way. To we got to do it every day. To quote the great theologian Linus, we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, doomed. Right. Sorry, I, I mean, we that. have to do it. No, and that's and that's the point. If we're not, yeah. what are we always talking about? Disciple your family. Disciple those around you. Disciple your neighbors. Because don't assume somebody else's. Because what we're finding out here in a lot of these churches is that we have entire generations of people that don't understand basic Christian doctrine and theology. Therefore, we have a ripe harvest field in our own churches. Right. Right. We need to start here. Yeah. This yeah. is welcome. Welcome to why I teach six times a week. Right. I just sat down and counted it up between what we do here on the podcast well, and what I do here at church. I've and- talked to several members of this congregation, and a lot of them say the same thing, that and, and, until we've started going through the Bible the way that we've done it, he says we've learned more in the last couple mm-hmm. of years than we have. Some people have been here for over 10 years, and, and they're, they've learned more in the Couple of years that you've been here because of the because it matters because the line how line, you, the precept upon how precept. you teach matters. It does. That's why we start off. That's why we start off with the devotion we start off with right. because it forms a foundation for dealing with things of the world. So when things confront you, right. what's the example that we're trying to give? 
We confront this article and this understanding with a biblical foundation based right. on the word. You can do the same. It just starts. That's why I joke. Like, okay, go read Acts 2, 3, 4. Look, if you do nothing else of value because of this, mm-hmm. go read Acts 2, 3, and 4 and just see how Peter points to Christ and then understand what does that mean for my walk? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for the the security that I have in Christ? And how do I then live in such a way that demonstrates these things? Well, Think it through. That's all Anyone that's who I mean. reads the scriptures, if they read Paul's writings, he's running around preaching to anyone who will listen, the Jews first and then the Gentiles. But he's telling the Gentiles who live in, in a pagan way, you have to separate yourself from those the way that you used to live. You can't go to the, the temple and offer up things to whatever deity that you do, you're doing that for and then go to go to uh, 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 your Bible and read and, and offer up prayers and spiritual sacrifices to God. You can't do that. Those two are not... Those things don't go together. Yeah, that's not how this works. That's not how it, any of this works. You have to give up that life, and you have to walk in the ways that God said to walk in, and you have to go through Christ, Christ alone. That's what we're preaching. Ding, 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 because that's what God has consistently been pointing to. And again, the beauty of this is in Christ, Christian, you have the power and the ability to do this because you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. Mm-hmm. He will bless these efforts. He will bless your work. Because he is working to bless the people of God so that God's kingdom will be complete. We are not lacking anything. There you go. So what have we learned here today, children? God works in us, and God works for us. God's work is based upon Christ alone, and nowhere else is God found but through and in Christ. So questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can go to the website, find all the fun stuff. If you see something that you want us to look at, doctrine you don't understand, or you want us to run through, send it to us. We'll be happy to do that. It's what we live for, to serve you, the people. people. (laughs) So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.